Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News political director Rick Klein. And I'm ABC's deputy political director Mary Alice Parks. And Mary Alice, it is a momentous day here in Washington, D.C., yet somehow anticlimactic. Uh, We're coming to you on Wednesday afternoon, uh, December 18th, as the House of Representatives debates articles of impeachment against Donald Trump, the 45th president of the United States. Those articles uh, allege abuse of power and obstruction of of Congress and barring a a shocking last minute uh, development. Uh, They have the votes to pass both of these articles of impeachment. Uh, It will be almost certainly an exclusively party line vote in that Democrats are the only ones voting to support impeachment. A couple of Democrats expected to cross and vote with with Republicans, but a very small number. And uh, it is a moment that will long be remembered uh, and I think remembered for the partisan rancor, uh, as well as the uh, the history-making nature of this uh, of these events. These don't happen very often. Once a generation or so, you impeach a president of the United States, and this is a big one. Uh, fewer than that. This is going to be only the third time in the country's history. You know. Even though the vote is expected to be down party lines, and that could be seen as less exciting, you're exactly right that it just does not make it any less historic. Uh, This is a statement in the record now. There is no turning back from these members of Congress. On both sides, they will go home and have to defend their votes to their constituents now and and in years to come. You know, it's also a moment for the president. Obviously, his policy decisions that he's made in his first term will be debated. Perceptions of his will change. But when history writes about his presidency in his first term, this will be... In the first few paragraphs, there will be this asterisk of impeachment and the impeachment process up until this point. It's interesting to see that he has not engaged in much of a formal way with this impeachment process. We know that he has worked very hard to keep uh, current and former staff from participating. They've locked down the possibility of responding to subpoenas and submitting documents from the State Department or the White House. Again, even though those documents were requested by subpoena from House investigators. We did, though, earlier this week see the president respond in a very unique way. He wrote a personal letter to the Speaker of the House. It looked formal. It was on White House letterhead, but it was far from formal in its language and tone. Uh, and, and maybe that's a sign of, of the language and tone to come as this moves to the Senate. Yeah, and our colleague John Carl uh, uh, reported that uh, that letter, that six-page letter, which you know le- read like a tweet on stationery um, developed by the White House, uh, was written by the president himself and a couple of aides, but not White House counsel, not his lawyers. And he didn't want his lawyers to to rein him in 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 any way. Uh, As things move to the Senate, we're going to talk later in the podcast with uh, Senator Dick Durbin, who's the number two Democrat in the Senate, um, as senators start to figure out what a framework of an impeachment trial in January would look like. Uh, That will uh, be a big issue in the Democratic primary race with another debate coming, oddly, (laughs) oddly time debate uh, tomorrow night in Los Angeles. But Mary Alice, I want to I want to parse through a bit of of the core arguments we've heard uh, from Democrats and Republicans both, because Look, people ask me all the time, uh, and Democrats will ask me, how do these Republicans believe these things? And Republicans will ask, how do Democrats actually believe these things? I actually think, in talking to a, a range of folks in both parties in recent weeks, both sides really believe what they're saying. And I don't say that lightly, and I don't say it glibly. Uh, it, there are definitely political debates that aren't like that. But I've been struck in listening to uh, the, the floor debate uh, as it develops around impeachment 
by how strongly Democrats and Republicans feel that they are right. Let's listen first to a couple of Democrats on the House floor, starting with uh, Congresswoman Barbara Lee. Donald Trump has been and remains a threat to our national security, a clear danger to our democracy, and wholly unfit to serve as president of the United States. We also know that the president has actively blocked congressional attempts to determine the extent of his misconduct by ordering executive branch officials to defy subpoenas and withhold information. When the president withheld military aid to vulnerable Ukraine and pressed for a personal favor to manufacture dirt against a political opponent, he went too far. So from the perspective of Democrats, Mary Alice, this is a slam dunk case. And it is so compelling that they have almost all of their members on board for it. There was a lot of talk coming into the week uh, about how the 30, uh, 31 House Democrats who sit in Trump red districts would vote. And with the exception of two that we know of, uh, one of whom is changing parties, uh, New Jersey, a New Jersey freshman, the other uh, from Minnesota who's been around for um, a, a long time in Congress and, and has his own identity. Um, other than that, they are all on board and they're all supporting impeachment and, and, and agreeing with this sentiment that the president is a threat to national security. And remember, so many of them have national security backgrounds. Uh, a, a shocking number of those Democrats that flipped districts from red to blue came from past experience at the CIA, the State Department. They had storied military careers. Um, Democrats were actually really proud to run a number of candidates that had uh, national security resumes. And they have said that this is this poses an imminent threat now. It's interesting to listen to their language there. They're talking not only about the possibility of impeachment serving as some sort of punishment for past actions, but a deterrent, in their mind, an urgent deterrent for what is to come, that the president, without sending the signal to the president, the president could easily engage in in action like this going forward in the pending election. And you hear it there that that, that concerns them. And, and, and Rudy Giuliani, the president, President's uh, personal lawyer really bolstered that part of the case for them in the last few weeks when he was returning to Ukraine, talking openly about his involvement with the State Department to remove sitting ambassadors so that he could pursue the investigations that he wanted, the, the pretty political investigations that he wanted. Democrats saw that as mounting evidence, increasing evidence that this was ongoing behavior from this White House. Uh, and from the Republican perspective, uh, it's it is this, this argument has been all about Democratic overreach. We heard over and over again on the floor of the of the House, the Republican view that the Democrats have hated Donald Trump from the moment he won the election in 2016 and have looked for a reason, looked for an excuse. And guess what? I think that's kind of right in the sense that they have been anti-Trump since the very beginning. And there have been members of Congress from before he was inaugurated who wanted to impeach this president. That is undeniable. Of course, you, that doesn't mean he shouldn't be impeached or couldn't be impeached for other things. But that is that is the backdrop against which this is considered. And Donald Trump, no great favorite of the Republican establishment, uh, with his rocky relationships in Congress and, and all of that, has still managed to rally every single Republican House member, we believe, to his side to defend him on impeachment. Take a listen to some of the arguments being used on the House floor, starting with Congressman Jim Baird of Indiana. I look forward to voting against this impeachment charade and getting back to work to support the efforts of President Trump to continue growing our economy, creating jobs, and improving the lives of all Americans. You made sure 
that the president didn't have any right to have his counsel there until judiciary. But by then it was too late. A request for investigations to how American foreign aid will be spent does not, does not equal soliciting election interference. Mary Alice, we remember the um, pretty pretty wild several weeks of hearings starting in the House Intelligence Committee and then extending through the House uh, Judiciary Committee where there was bombshell after bombshell. And you, we covered here and elsewhere the, uh, the current, many of them current, but some former Trump administration officials who were uh, very concerned about the conduct, um, dramatic days of testimony, and a lot of question at the time about what this would mean for public opinion and what it would mean ultimately for Republicans. So for the president to be able to walk away from the day without any significant defections inside his party on Capitol Hill is is a major achievement. And I would argue it's an achievement of uh, of public perception as well as political perception, because we've seen it in the polling that seems to have stalled at around half the country believing that the president should be impeached and convicted. Uh, didn't get beyond that. And I think that has helped rally Republicans to the argument that the president did nothing wrong. And we've seen Republicans double down on arguments about process in the last few months. I'm thinking back to Jonathan Turley, the professor that Republicans brought in as their witness during the judiciary hearings. And he said, this is just not the right way to do this, that there's not two branches of government. There are three branches of government. And why in the world, if you believe you have such a strong case, Democrats, are you not waiting for the courts to weigh in? How can you say this president is obstructing justice if the courts are still hearing the cases about what this White House should have to turn over, which documents they should have to give up, which subpoenas they should have to listen to? Let the process play out. And I think that was a very compelling argument for a lot of folks because it has been so fast. It has been head spinningly fast. And and why wouldn't Democrats wait and see this process through and check every box? Yeah, and, and it puts a lot of pressure on, on Senate Democrats who, unlike the House Democrats, do not have the majority. Um, they are going to be looking to, to make a case uh, that, uh, that, that, frankly, hasn't been fully made to the public. And uh, again, we'll talk about that with Senator Durbin uh, after our break. But I, I wanted to just highlight this because uh, you know, I've I've covered Washington um, uh, for 15 years or so now. And uh, I'll just say, you know, the, the chair, the rules committee is a fascinating uh, organism uh, on Capitol Hill. And, um, you know, for all the partisan vitriol, and there's lots even in the rules committee, uh, the chairman of that committee, Jim McGovern, is someone I've known for a long time, um, covered in Wackers of the Boston Globe. Tom Cole, Republican of Oklahoma, is someone we've had on the podcast a number of times. I have a lot of respect personally. I think a lot of reporters do for the chairman and the ranking member mm-hmm. of, of this committee. And you heard them you know, the, praise each other in terms of the process. But, but listen to part of their closing arguments that they made uh, this morning, Wednesday morning, in, in, in trying to urge anyone from the other side to join them. I want to underscore again, we are very violently opposed to the process, very strongly opposed to the rule, think this is a charade and been very unfair. No one should be allowed to use the powers of the presidency to undermine our elections, period. This isn't about siding with your team. I didn't swear an oath to defend a political party. I took an oath to uphold the Constitution of the United States of America. And when I vote yes on this rule and the underlying articles, my conscience will be clear. 
just to say something again about these two members of Congress, they are uh, kind of voices in, of, of conscience inside their conferences. Uh, their members, the members listen to what they have to say. And I genuinely believe at this moment that uh, that ranking member Cole um, believes that this is an abuse of power by the Democrats. And I genuinely believe that Congressman McGovern believes that this is abuse of power by the president. And I, without, at the risk of being accused of both sidesism in, in covering this, I think, Mary Alice, it's important to, to understand that, uh, yes, Congress is divided, but really the country is divided on this very fundamental question of whether the president of the United States should be removed. The polling has shown that over and over again. Uh, we are in an election year, and it is a remarkable move to do this when we are less than a year from when voters will get to decide for themselves. I think that that has only added to the both the pressure but also the skepticism around this impeachment from both sides and, and anxiety about the impeachment process from both sides. I'm also thinking back, though, about how the president has responded to this process. We talked a little bit about the letter that he spent to, sent to Speaker Pelosi and, and how that encapsulates what has been his tone all along. There has not been a moment of conciliatory language, of concession, of, of remorse or, or, or even um, pause from this president. And I wonder if that, too, has has dug in both sides. You know, we, we've seen Republicans time and again take cues from this White House and Democrats respond bond even more urgently when he seems to show um, that he is only digging into his base. Had there been a moment where he reached out across the aisle, had there been a moment where he was willing to have a different conversation and, 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 and try to explain some of his actions that Democrats found so appalling, would we be in a different place right now, both in, in public perception and also as what we're seeing on, on in the House floor? Yeah, and that that's not been the president's way. And I wouldn't expect that it suddenly becomes that. A lot of action still ahead in the new year and in the Senate. Uh, when we come back, we are going to be joined by the number two Democrat in the United States Senate, Senator Dick Durbin. And we're very pleased to be joined here on Powerhouse Politics by Senator Dick Durbin, Democratic Senator from Illinois, the senior senator from Illinois, and also the number two Democrat in the United States Senate. Senator, uh, welcome on this momentous day. Uh, I'm just, I'm curious what's gone through your mind as you've, as you've watched the, the House proceedings and now as you prepare for action in the Senate. Well, 15, I believe, is the number of senators currently serving who've been through this experience in the Clinton impeachment about 20 years ago. Uh, and it brings back many memories of an extraordinary time in the Senate uh, that very few members in the course of history have ever, ever witnessed. Uh, there is a moment uh, when you come to realize that it's not business as usual on the floor of the Senate chamber, that something extraordinary is happening. And most people, uh, I think, respect that very much, and uh, their demeanor reflects it. So if the demeanor reflects that, I, I, I'm curious what that's going to mean for the process, because we've already seen uh, Senator Schumer, the, the minority leader, and Senator McConnell, the majority leader, uh, trade some jabs about partisanship and the like on the Senate floor uh, as, as there's an attempt to try to negotiate a framework. Senator McConnell has now offered uh, essentially the framework uh, of the Clinton impeachment. Is that something you think Democrats are prepared to, to offer? Are there, is there a chance that, like in the Clinton impeachment, we'll have a hundred to nothing Senate agreement? Well, it, it's different in what Senator McConnell is offering. Uh, and I just know from Senator Schumer's point of view 
that he's hoping that there's a general understanding that this is not going to be a rush to judgment, quick decision, let's get this over with type of atmosphere. This is uh, serious. It is, as I said, solemn uh, and should be. to consider uh, removing a president uh, is one of the most important responsibilities under the Constitution. And the notion that we would do this in some quick, let's get it over with fashion concerns me and I believe concerns Senator Schumer as well. The difference between this impeachment trial and others in the past is profound. In the two cases, most recent cases, forgetting Andrew Johnson back in the 19th century, but in the two most recent cases, the one with Nixon, which did not go to trial, and the one with Bill Clinton that did, there were extensive investigations that preceded the actual trial uh, in in the Senate or any trial that would have taken place. In this case, that's not uh, what we're facing. What we have is a record that has been created by the House of Representatives, despite the resistance of the president and the White House when it came to documents and witnesses. What Senator Schumer is saying is, you know, let's go back in history 20 years, we had Ken Starr's extensive investigation that was part of the record brought over by the House managers. In this case, we have 17 witnesses uh, in the House uh, who spoke to this issue regarding President Trump, but very few others because the administration wouldn't cooperate. He's looking for uh, an evidentiary record, Senator Schumer is, and I support him. We've seen the polling stagnant the last few weeks. It hasn't moved. What do you think is causing that? Have Democrats run out of steam? And, and are you, is the party failing to convince more Americans that this is the right move? No, and I'll tell you what we found in the polling is that the reason why uh, a number of Americans uh, have not engaged is that very fact. They're not following this. Their lives are going on as usual. They have other things that they're worried about. They're buying gifts for the holidays and where you headed for vacation and the like. They are not tuned in as we are as politicians and political observers to every waking moment of the impeachment uh, uh, extravaganza here. But isn't that on? Uh, isn't that on the Democrats to to make them care? I mean, if it was well, serious enough, wouldn't they want to be clued in? Well, I I don't know the answer to that other than to tell you that it's not surprising when we live in a nation where we're lucky to get 60 percent of the people to vote for president of the United States, that there are some people who have things that they think are more important in their lives. And it's not surprising to me that with 500 cable channels to choose from, they may not choose C-SPAN to watch the impeachment proceedings. So uh, that that's no surprise. That reflects a busy country that tunes in when they believe there's something relevant to their lives. And whether it's a presidential campaign or this impeachment proceeding, many people are not tuned in yet. They may be in the days ahead. So does that mean, Senator Durbin, that, that uh, any any agreement that does not include witnesses will not have Democratic support? Is that is that a is that a line that you guys have drawn in the sand in these negotiations? Well, certainly is where Senator Schumer started, and I think it's the right starting point. If we are not going to consider documents and witnesses in the course of this so-called trial, it is not a real trial. It is a motion practice for those of us who've been in trial practice. It means that Senator McConnell, uh, after the after a decent Christian interval, is prepared to say, enough, let's end it right here. Uh, I think that's unfortunate. We should carefully consider the evidence. I think the American people expect nothing less. If there were to be witnesses, would you be open to essentially a trade-off where you'll get your witnesses, the Mulvaney and Bolton is among the four that you're asking for, but that Republicans will get what they want, which includes potentially former Vice President Biden and Hunter Biden? 
Well, if, of course, you know, we can go far afield here. We can talk about uh, Roger Stone. We can talk about Rudy Giuliani. The bottom line is they may or may not have any relevance to what we're considering in this impeachment trial. When we're asking for John Bolton or Mick Mulvaney, they are people who have direct personal knowledge of aspects of this case. Uh, Hunter Biden, for goodness sakes, what would he know about President Trump's phone call with Zelensky? I mean, they want to bring him in for clearly political reasons. The point I'm going to make is I'm not going to exclude and disqualify any witnesses at this moment. I think what Senator Schumer did was open it up in the proper way, asking for relevant witnesses. And I hope Republicans, there'll be some Republicans who agree that's the proper way to approach this. We've been told, incidentally, there are some Republicans who privately say, you got your mind, you bring in Hunter Biden, you've just made a circus out of the Senate. It's going to make us look foolish. So there may be some dissension in his own ranks. In the House, it's likely going to be that only one of the votes is bipartisan. That'll be the vote against the articles of impeachment. Do you think that we are already headed towards a pure partisan vote in the Senate? It has been surprising to watch a number of senators, as we were talking about, sort of say openly that they're that they're not coming into this process as impartial jurors, already sort of saying that they've made up their mind on the facts of this case. But are you are you? lobbying Republican colleagues? Are you talking privately to Republican colleagues? Or do you believe this will end up just a partisan vote? I'm not sure what the ending will be. Remember what happened under the Clinton impeachment. The Senate was 55 Republicans and 45 Democrats. On the major article of impeachment, 10 Republicans joined all the Democrats in voting against it. On the second article, five did. So of the 55 Republicans, a five to ten or with the Democrats on the final vote. I can't predict what's going to happen here. Uh, but I do believe that a number of senators, when they finally come to appreciate the gravity of this experience, may reflect on their place in history uh, based on their vote one way or the other. I'll leave it to them to make that decision. And I also think some will understand they have to go back home and explain it uh, as to obstruction of justice. Here's a president who said, I'm not going to offer any documents or witnesses. I'm going to discourage and stop any members of my staff from testifying uh, in this impeachment proceeding. If you accept that premise that a president can stonewall an impeachment proceeding, you basically remove that section from the Constitution in, in some instances. And I think that is an historic decision, which is reflected in the second count, which uh, part of the impeachment. You're talking about your colleagues having to go back and, and explain to their constituents. If the president is acquitted, as Leader McConnell has predicted and the White House has predicted, how do you go back to your constituents and, and explain that, that this wasn't a, a futile exercise? Well, I don't believe it's futile at all. I think it's part of my constitutional responsibility. And I'm reminded of the fact that for the longest time, many people, myself included, have said, I wish our Republicans, uh, our friends, would put their country before their party. I wish they would put their constitution before their political agenda uh, when it comes to impeachment. The same standard holds true to Democrats. Uh, if we were simply moving forward uh, on the basis of whether or not it had a positive impact on the November 2020 election, shame on us. Uh, we should be doing this for the right reasons, and the right reasons uh, come down to the cause of justice and whether this president abused the power of his office for personal or political benefit. 
That is a fundamental question under our Constitution. And whether it's popular or unpopular, I believe we should resolve it. Senator, one thing I, I love about about the United States Senate and covering the United States Senate is the way that uh, the, the 100 senators develop relationships with each other. And you all have a lot of private conversations and, and unlikely friendships and, and other relationships. One question that I feel like I can't answer, but maybe a U.S. senator can, is whether this would be any different if this was a secret ballot vote. If senators did not have to explain their decision to their constituents, but could vote their conscience on this question of, of impeachment, of conviction, do you think there would be a different outcome in the Senate if a Republican, say, did not have to then describe to his or her constituents, this is why I voted, but simply did the job uh, of, of upholding his or her vision of the Constitution? I'm sorry to say I do think it would make a difference. Uh, we have noticed a number of our Republican colleagues who have stepped away from the president's uh, own political feelings or his own party line and been admonished back into uh, the disciplined position. I mean, it, I've seen it repeatedly where a senator will go home and do a town meeting and say, Merrick Garland, why, of course, we ought to sit down with Merrick Garland. And within 48 hours, say, wait a minute, I take that back. We shouldn't sit down with Merrick Garland, Obama's Supreme Court nominee. We shouldn't talk to him. So there is a discipline within their party ranks, uh, which uh, really calls many of them uh, into line if they step out of line. There's some fear among them. Uh, in terms of primary opposition, uh, that's just a reality. Uh, not to say that element isn't on the Democratic side in some cases, but I don't see it as pronounced, and I don't see anyone uh, cracking the whip over, uh, here I am, the whip of the Senate, cracking the whip over members in terms of how they're going to vote. This is a conscience vote on the Democratic side. And finally, Senator, I I'm curious your perspective about on history, because you you've made a couple of references today about how history will record this moment. And clearly, an impeachment is, is so unusual. Uh, this will be only the third vote to proceed this far, the actual impeachment of a president of the United States. What, what about the institutions? And, and I'm curious, in this moment, if you have optimism, pessimism, uh, if, if you feel despondent about the state of institutions, or maybe there's some glimmer of something, that uh, to see this intensely partisan fight play out, to see the president's angry reactions to what the Democrats have done, and to know that in all likelihood, the, this is going to end like so many of, uh, of the, the battles of this era do, which is in a, in a partisan standoff. Well, I can tell you, it is just, it's not just President Donald Trump on trial for impeachment. The Senate's on trial in terms of our institutional responsibility under the Constitution. Alexander Hamilton said, we'll leave this up to the Senate to decide the fate of impeachment because of two reasons. They are independent and dignified. Those are the two things he said, independent and dignified. Now we've got to prove he's right. The independent part, I'm afraid, was attacked head-on uh, when Mitch McConnell said, I've already made up my mind, I'm with the president, I'll be calling on him for signals as to what we ought to do with this trial. Uh, that was a shame. I mean, it really it did not respect the institution of the Senate or the Constitution or parts of it as written. But now it's up to the rest of us. Four senators on the on this Republican side can step up at some point and decide that they want to have a place in history of, of being in favor of something that looked more constitutional and closer to the standard that was established in that constitution. I hope they do. Uh, we did 20 years ago. 
John Podesta, who was working in the White House at the time, said, when we heard all 100 senators were going into the Senate chamber, we got very frightened. They weren't going to be listened to us anymore. They were going to talk to themselves and decide what to do. It was the right thing to do 20 years ago. It's the right thing to do now. Senator Dick Durbin of Illinois, really appreciate you being with us on this day for the history books. Thank you, Senator. Glad to join you. So, Mary Alice, of course, when, when Senator Durbin talks about four Republicans, that is the number that we need to cross over to vote with Democrats for the procedural motions, just to, to, to set the groundwork of what kind of witnesses are called and, uh, and the individual any. witnesses, if any, uh, get called. That, of course, is different than the constitutional standard of a two-thirds majority. That you'd need 20 Republican senators for. And um, I understand how Senator Durbin says that we're not giving up on anything as Democrats, but, man, that's just not where the reality is of this party at this moment. But you heard him talk about his Republicans' colleagues' conscience, the idea that they're going to have to sleep at night. He, he said that he hopes his colleagues will reflect on their place in history using pretty grave and solemn words to talk about this day. And what he says about dissension in McConnell's ranks could be critical in this in this moment. Um, we know Senator, Senator Susan Collins of Maine has just announced a reelection plans with a, a big soaring statement about the need for bipartisanship. Senator Mitt Romney of Utah, of course, has come out and talked about uh, how he found the president's actions indefensible uh, and didn't care to do that. And there's others like Lisa Murkowski, Ben Sass from Nebraska, maybe institutionalists as well, that once they get behind closed doors, that will be an interesting barometer of, of how this plays from here, knowing that a Senate trial is teed up for January. And it'll be interesting if Republicans can stand by a decision to call no witnesses at all. We saw in our own poll that the vast majority of Americans are in favor of the White House letting witnesses testify. And I think that's because Republicans have argued that we don't know the motivations of the president's actions. We don't know the motivations of the White House's decision to withhold aid. And so Democrats are making a strong argument when they say that's exactly the reason that some of these top aides in the White House should be called. I think that our poll is a sign that that argument at least is resonating with Americans. And mark it down this date in history, December 18th, uh, 2019, the date that President Donald Trump uh, is impeached by the House of Representatives. That does it all for this edition of Powerhouse Politics. For Mary Alice Parks, for John Carl, for Trevor Hastings behind the controls, Angie Yak, Avery Miller, and the whole gang here. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Have a great holiday season. We'll be back on Christmas Day with another episode. I, John Carl may sing Christmas carols. I'm not sure. He's been talking about this for, for quite some time. We'll see. We'll see if we can hold him to that. But thanks for listening. We'll be back soon.